Um, I know that last time that I preached, I threw some of you off. Um, so it is I, Sean. I have long hair now. And um, I've worked here for seven years. If you, if you are confused by who this person standing on stage is. Uh, I got a lot of, after uh, the last time I preached, I didn't have a clue who you were on stage at first. Um, I guess that's what happens in a pandemic and you grow your hair out. Um, but I am excited to share this morning, to spend a little bit of time in Scripture with you today, um, getting a chance to, uh, to be here on this platform and to uh, share a message with you as Chris continues to be on vacation. So this morning, I want to talk to us about choices. Uh, each and every day, we make a series of choices. Some of you wrestled with what to wear this morning, and you may have been like me. You just picked out something that didn't have wrinkles and didn't stink, right? And you put that on, and you came to church. Um, after church, you're going to have another choice. You're going to have to decide where you're going to go eat. And I know that for some of you in your families, that is a hard choice. And you will argue about Jason's Deli or Salsaritas or something else. But just remember you love each other. And it's not something to, like, really fight over as you make that choice. But we face a lot of choices each and every day. So I was curious about some of the choices that you all might make when faced with a choice. So what we're going to do is play a little game. And I'm going to have you raise your hands about which one of these few choices that you'll see on the screen um, that you would choose when giving this choice. So first, we're going to start easy. Uh, Pizza Hut people, Domino's Pizza. If you're a Pizza Hut person, raise your hand. If nothing outdoes the hut for you. Um, all right, Domino's Pizza, if you're a Domino's person, okay. Um, all right, very good. Um, this one's a little more challenging, uh, maybe, um, for some. Coke or Pepsi people? If you're a Coke person, raise your hand, yeah. If you're a Pepsi person, let's see it. A few of you, yes. Um, but the real answer is Mountain Dew. That's the correct answer. Mountain Dew is the correct answer on that one. All right, this is, <laughs> some people might go to blows here. I don't know. Um, Cat or dog people, okay? Um, if you're a cat person, let's all just get it out there. Put it out. You're a cat person. All right, now if you're a dog person, yeah, here we go. Um, and this is, I had to do it. Stephen put his dog up on screen one of the times he preached. This is our new puppy, uh, Emmett. We love him so. He's adorable. Um, so that's Emmett. All right, here we go. Some sweets now. Uh, cake or pie people? Um, if you're a cake or a pie person. If you're a cake person... Raise your hand. Yeah, there we go. If you're a pie person, yeah. Mm. Yes, I knew it. Yes, pie is so much better than cake. Um, all right, here we go. Now, this one's, this one's going to be fast food. Here we go. Uh, McDonald's. I know it's terrible for you, but if you're a McDonald's... Oh. Well. Well, she ruined my joke. I was already going to make that joke. Uh, Thank you, thank you. All right, well, all right. So we'll move on because that joke was ruined. <laughs> anyway, all right, donuts. Let's get back in the sweets. Donuts. Krispy Kreme or Dunkin' Donuts people? If you're a Krispy Kreme person, raise your hand. If you're a Dunkin' Donuts person, raise your hand. Now, the correct answer is donuts. They're just donuts, right? I have one rule with Miss Melissa in the front office, and that is if anybody brings donuts to the office, she needs to let me know so that I can come get donuts. Uh, that's my only rule that I have with her. But um, let's be honest. Uh, oh, first, thanks for playing along. Thanks for, for joining in. But uh, these choices are low for most of us on the consequence scale. Um, but they do represent the fact that we are all faced with daily choices. And obviously, there's bigger choices that we have. Uh, some of those may include 
which jobs to apply for, or maybe which jobs to accept, who to date and possibly who to share our lives with, maybe where to live, things along that uh, scale. Those are some of the bigger choices that we face in our life uh, each and every day. But thankfully, uh, we have the freedom to make those choices, right? We have that freedom to make a choice in those big and small things. And it is the 4th of July. It's America's birthday. And if there's one thing that we citizens love about being an American, it's the freedom to have choices. It's the freedom to make those choices. But choice comes with great responsibility. And the freedom to choose comes with great responsibility. And that's where I want to kind of dig in this morning, uh, that responsibility. And as we're going to shoot off fireworks later tonight and soak in the choice of freedom, I want to talk about the choices that we make as Jesus people. The choices that we make as Jesus people and ask this question. With all of our freedom to choose, are we choosing good for others, our community, and the kingdom of heaven on earth? With all of the freedom that we have to choose, are we choosing good? So in order to do that, we're going to go all the way back to the beginning of the story. Genesis chapter 1, if you've got your Bibles, is uh, we're going to kind of skim over the beginning of Genesis a little bit this morning to start off. As the story of God and his creation unfolds in chapter 1, we see this little word, good, pop up numerous times. This word good shows up uh, in the story about seven times in the first chapter in the creation narrative. So in verse 3 and 4, it says, Let there be light, and there was light, and God, God saw that that light was good. Verse 10, God called the dry ground land and, the, and gathered the waters, seas, uh, and God saw that it was good. Verse 12, vegeta vegetation and plants show up, and God says that those are good. Verse 18, the sun, the moon, the stars, and those are good. Verse 21, creatures in the sea and birds in the air, and those are good. Verse 25, wild animals, livestock, creatures that crawl, eventually humanity, and God sees that those are good. Verse 31, God saw everything he made, and it was very good. So I want to start there with this word good, which is this Hebrew word um, that is called tov. Um, now, in, in the kind of English writing of it, it has a B in it, but nobody, there's not really a, a B, or because there's not a V in, uh, in Hebrew, so it's got a B there, but we pronounce it tov. So you're going to see it written in the future as tov. Um, and it is this Hebrew word, that means good, and it appears some 559 times in our Old Testament. And that is where the story begins, with good. And I feel like that's really important because I often hear a lot of bashing of the world, kind of in our Christianese language. Um, we sometimes use the world as this stand-in for all of the bad or all of the evil or all of the things that we don't like about creation. So we say the world is this or the world is that. Um, but when we look at the story of God, God does not look at this world with disdain or disgust, and it was not a mistake. It is not bad. It is tov. It is good. So as many of us know, the story continues with another creation account, Genesis chapter 2. And there, God has some personal interaction with uh, his dirt creatures, his humans, and he interacts with them. And there in the, his paradise in the Garden of Eden, he places two trees, uh, one called the Tree of Life, and it represents, um, and its mere presence 
seems to grant humanity a life everlasting. And then there's the second tree, the tree of knowledge of good and bad, or as we sometimes say, evil. So this tree bears fruit on it, as God tells humanity in life that it would kill them if they ate from it. This tree provides the knowledge of what is tov, and the other Hebrew word, what is ra, or evil or bad. But honestly, like for me, we, we, we say a lot of times, you know, the knowledge of good and evil. But uh, Old Testament scholar Tim Mackey ha, has, has talked about, and I've come to kind of this point where I agree with him, that a better word for ra is bad as, as opposed to evil. Um, he, he talks about it this way. He says that often when we think about things as evil, we think about them in terms of large-scale evil things like murder and the most heinous of things. But the tree represents not things of just the most heinous level. It represents all things that are not good for humanity. So the word bad encompasses this a little bit better, Tim Mackey says, and, and I've come to kind of agree with that. So I'm going to kind of refer to it as the tree of good and bad. And I'm going to talk a little bit more about what I mean in this distinction a little bit later. But I love how the Oxford Jewish Study Bible talks about this tree. It says, The description of the knowledge of good and bad in which polar opposites denote a totality, much like heaven and earth are polar opposites, but they are connected to this whole. But knowledge can have an experiential, not only an intellectual sense in biblical Hebrew. And good and bad can mean either well or woe, Moral good or moral evil bad. He goes on to say, The forbidden tree offered an experience that is both pleasant and painful. It awakens those who partake of it to the higher knowledge and to the pain that both come with moral choice. This tree comes not just with a threat of death, as God would say, but with the knowledge that comes with all of the goodness of this world, as well as all of the pain that goes along and accompanies the choices that humanity would make along the way. This is bigger than just fruit. This is about how do we live our lives within the goodness that God has given us and be content there, right? It's about how do we live in that goodness of God and be content with that. As the story goes, the, content, the goodness and the contentment would not last long for life and humanity. As they would choose to partake with their eyes, as they choose to partake, their eyes would be open wide to not just the beauty that God had put around them, but now to the realization that they know what is Tov and Ra. And they have to choose now between good and bad. And that is where the story goes. We see it for the rest of the pages of Scripture. Cain and Abel, a choice is made. God even asks Abel to choose what is right and things will go well with him, but he doesn't. The first large civilization in Genesis founded by Cain, they choose death over goodness. Move forward a little bit to chapter 6 and there's this odd bit about Nephilim and them seeing the daughters of humanity as good in their own eyes and it causes more death. And pain. Then on to Noah and the people of God have chosen Ra over Tov so much that God is heartbroken over it. 
And what he's going to do is he's essentially going to decreate the world and start over with one family. But as we read on, it doesn't take long before people choose Ra over Tov again. This eventually is going to lead to God calling one man and his family out of the desert to go to a place unknown to them in order to be a blessing to the world around them. Let's remember, God believes that this world is good, that it is tov. So what he wants is for his creation to see the world as good and share that with each other. So God will call Abraham to trust him and use words like, you will be blessed and all the families of the earth shall bless themselves by you. I believe that is receiving tov from God and being called to share tov with others. I believe that God's desire ever since humanity chose to know what good and bad are, is for humanity to choose tov, to choose good for the betterment of this earth and for its people. And I think from this moment on, God is calling his people to a commitment to choose good over bad. If you read the scriptures, obviously it doesn't always go that way. But I think it's this calling that keeps coming back up over and over and over and over again. To, to, to choose Tov over Ra. It would be a call to return to the goodness of God for the people of Israel over and over again as the kingdom has its successes and it has its failures. The idea of doing Tov and doing good would be on the lips of the prophet Jeremiah, even in the worst of times as God's people were in exile in Babylon. Jeremiah 29 says this, it says, Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons. Give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in numbers there. Do not decrease. Also seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it. Because if it prospers, you too will prosper. This sounds like doing tov, doing good for our community. Despite your clear disagreements, right? If you are people carried into exile, I'm sure you have some disagreements with the people around you, right? You don't agree with their ideology. You don't agree with their politics. You don't agree with whatever it may be. But the call here is to do good, to do tov. God's going to say this. If his people would practice tov, in verse 10, he says, This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are complete for Babylon, I will come to you, and fulfill my good, again, Tov, promise to bring you back to this place. And even in the events that led to the exile, uh, when God's people were choosing Ra over Tov, so there's this prophet that shows up, the prophet Amos. It's kind of a book that many of us kind of skip through. Um, he's going to attempt to call the people back to Tov. The prophet Amos, he's going to come to some prominence during the rule of Uzziah in the southern kingdom of jo Judah, and Jeroboam in the northern kingdom of Israel. So you've got the two kingdoms going on. They've split because they couldn't get along. Um, and he was a prophet during peaceful times, essentially. Uh, things were peaceful for both kingdoms. They weren't currently at war. Um, but what he critiques is the political, social, and economic situation of God's people. As the elite took advantage of the unfortunate, Amos would become a voice for the oppressed. And he's been a voice then, and he's a voice now. Even Dr. Martin Luther King would quote the prophet in his famous I Have a Dream speech. Amos says this in chapter 5, 
verse 14 and 15, in a poem about the sins of Israel and their lack of care for the poor and the oppressed. He says, as Chad read earlier, Seek good, not bad or evil, that you may live. Then the Lord God Almighty will be with you, just as you say he is. Because this is the thing. They're saying that God is with them, but what they're doing is oppressing their people. And the rich continue to get richer, and the poor get poorer, and there's a discrepancy. And God sees that as bad. But all the time, they're going to their worships, and they're doing their churchy things, and they're doing their good things as they thought. But they're oppressing their people. And they're not really doing good for each other. And God sees that as raw. You see, the Amos, to Amos, the tove or the good is to take care of each other, and the raw, the bad, the evil is to allow the rich to get richer and the poor and the oppressed to be taken advantage of. So let's jump a little bit farther in the New Testament. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus is in his hometown. He's come home to Nazareth. He's in his home synagogue. Probably kind of a, a, a quaint moment, a beautiful moment. They're like, oh, this rabbi, you know, Jesus, he's from here and, and we love him and he's been traveling around as a rabbi and we're so proud of him and he's at home, he's home for church today, so let's Let's have him read from the scriptures. Let's have him read from the scrolls. I bet, I bet he'll share something so encouraging to our hearts. We're going to just, mm, it's going to be great. So they ask him to read, and he grabs Isaiah, and he reads two portions of that scroll, part of what we would call chapter 58 and chapter 61. And he says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, he has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll and he sits down. And they throw him out of town. They throw him out of town for this. Because what Jesus is doing, listen, he's not here to just get us to heaven. That's not the story to just get us to heaven, but to bring heaven down to earth and to restore the tove of God's creation, to restore the balance of power, to lift up the oppressed and the poor, to proclaim freedom for prisoners, to make things right, to make things good. And people don't like this. They didn't like it then, and they don't like it now. We see it time after time. Jesus does some good for someone. He heals someone. He rescues them from death, from persecution, from suffering. And all the religious churchy people, they stand around and they open their book and they say, no, you can't do that for people. You can't do good for people because the Bible says this. The scriptures say this. Don't do those things. Jesus wanted to do tov, to restore tov. To get everyone who calls on the name of the Lord to be part of that mission in doing tov for this good world. From the moment Jesus is baptized in the Spirit of God and Yahweh opens the sky and his Spirit hovers over the waters just like it did in the creation narrative, God says, this is my Son whom I love and am well pleased. Jesus was practicing and pursuing a world filled with tov. His life, tov. His teachings, tov. His death, his burial, and resurrection, tove beyond tove. In Christ, all is tove. But I know that is something that many of us wrestle with. 
this idea of goodness within us. Um, because let's be honest, we read verses like Romans chapter 3, verse 12, where Paul is going to quote the laments of the psalmist in Ecclesiastes. And he's going to say, all have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. And we're going to read stuff like that, and we're going to say, there it is. You see, we shouldn't think of ourselves as good. This world is fallen and broken. And, and listen, I know, I mean, just turn on the news, right? There are fallen, broken, and evil things in this world, but church, listen to me when I say that as image bearers of the God of creation who causes creation to tove, and followers of King Jesus who came to restore all things, and as people who live by the Spirit of God, we are called to bring good into this world and not just lament the lack of it. We are called to reverse the sins and curse of, Jap of Genesis chapter 3 and bring heaven to earth as Jesus taught us. And, and honestly, I don't know if Paul even really thought we were bad, right? Or else why would he consider goodness to be a fruit of the Spirit that we're supposed to cu cultivate, right? So how do we practice Tove? How do we practice this? Remember, I said that the question I want to ask you, a group of free-to-choose Americans in the 21st century on the day that we celebrate freedom, I want to ask you this. What, is, what good is freedom to choose if you don't choose to do good with it, right? What good is it? What good is all this freedom to make choices if we don't choose to do good with it? And also remember how I said I've come to a place that I like the word bad for raw over evil, and I'm going to tell you a little bit why. Because many of us are not evil people, right? At least the way we think of or conceive of evil, evil in terms uh, of our modern idea of it. You know, the big sins. I, nobody in this room is running around just like stabbing people and murdering people on a daily basis. So we look at ourselves and we see ourselves as not evil. But what we do is we sweep some of the small bads that we do under the rug. Subtle hatred, judgmental attitudes, harsh words to people that frustrate us. And let's be honest, some of us practice some bigger bads as well. Lying, racism, participating in a system that continues to oppress the poor and the marginalized. But we don't think of ourselves as evil. So we absolve ourselves of that because we go to church and we're good people. But this is the thing. We have the knowledge of good and bad. We have the knowledge of tov and ra. And when we continue to choose bad over good for others and for our world, we fall into the same sins Amos spoke against and Jesus came to rescue us from. So in their book, uh, A Church Called Tov, Authors Scott McKnight and Laura Beringer, they call the church to a higher idea of Tove in this world. To be a place where the good news of Jesus is just that. Good for the people in the world itself. And honestly, I wish I had a month. I wish I had like a whole series to kind of break all this stuff down with you, but I don't. Maybe one day, but I don't. Um, but I do want to leave you with these ideas to ponder as we wrap up this morning. I'm going to leave you with these ideas to think about how are you living out Tove in your everyday life. So McKnight and Beringer say there are six key elements of a Tove culture. The first is this, empathy and compassion. 
Do we feel the feelings of others, even those we might disagree with, and not just write them, them and their experiences off because they are different than our experiences? Next, grace and graciousness. Are we giving other image bearers grace, not being fearful that everything and everyone is out to get you or your ideas? Start with the idea that people are good and give them grace. Next, put people first. That seems simple, but do we always, do, do, do the ways that we have always thought or done things become more important than the literal flesh and blood standing in front of us asking to be seen? Resist the urge to simply put people in categories because they are different or think different than you. Next, truth-telling. Be honest. Be open. Admit mistakes. Resist false narratives that cause you to take sides or see people as your enemies. Next, justice. And this is not get what is coming to you type of justice or necessarily court of law type of justice, but equality for all, seeking to make sure that everyone is taken care of, making things right for the oppressed and marginalized just like Jesus did. And finally, Christ-likeness. This is where we take serious the words of Jesus and not just see them as slogans or a Bible verse, but really live out the Sermon on the Mount and the things that Jesus talks about, what it looks like to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, to live out that upside-down kingdom of humility that Stephen shared with us about last week. Church, I believe that if we had a church culture and a Christian culture in this world that put these things into practice, we would begin to see the world as good, just as God did in the beginning, and we would begin to restore goodness to his creation. So again, that question, what good is your freedom if your freedom doesn't do good for the people and world around you? Church, may we pursue Tove above our own desires and wants, May we seek to reverse the bad in our own lives and actions. May we look at others and want and pursue goodness for them. May we seek heaven on earth as bringers of good in this world just as Jesus did. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time this morning to worship, to be together. We thank you for your goodness and that you see creation as good. And you see us, Father, with your love. And you desire goodness for us. And forgive us when we choose, choose bad over good. Father, forgive us when we walk away from your goodness and walk away from your tree of life but instead pursue our selfish desires and our selfish wants. And sometimes that comes in the form of, of small things and in big things, Father, in little, um, little ways that we don't treat other image bearers the way that you want them to be treated. Sometimes in large ways where we make decisions and policies and uh, practices that exclude and cut out your people. Father, forgive us of those things. May we pursue goodness. May we cultivate that fruit of the Spirit in our lives each and every day by making small choices and large choices that display the goodness 
of who you are, who your son Jesus is, and who your Holy Spirit is, so that others may see that they too can be made good and seen as good. Father, thank you for this time this morning just to spend um, worshiping together with one another, lifting your, your, your name up on high, putting you in your proper place as, as our King and as our Father and as creator of this world. Father, we love you and are thankful um, for your goodness. And may we be people who present goodness in our each and everyday life. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we've said over numerous times, we're not uh, doing an invitation type thing in a regular way, but if there's something that we can do for you, if you need prayers, there'll be one of our elders who will be in this back corner. We have a, uh, an elder's prayer room. If you need uh, an elder to pray over you or to talk, um, they will be there for that. Or um, if you just want to send a text to this number, um, you can certainly do that for prayer requests now, today, and throughout the week, and we'll be praying over those things. We pray that um, you have a great day and a great uh, holiday weekend. If you get tomorrow off, awesome. We hope that you enjoy that time off, and we're thankful to be here today. And it is my prayer that um, as we leave this place, we can um, display goodness to the people around us. Be good to others. Be good to this world. Be good to each other because God is good to us. Amen? Thank you for being here this morning. We're going to close in song. Um, so would everybody just let's stand and, and praise the Lord one last time before we leave.